Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast in partnership with the Still Voices Film Festival. I'm Gemma Cray and ahead of this year's festival, I'm chatting with Adrian Duncan about his film Lost Colony. thank you so much for chatting with us um I just wanted to say as well Lost Colony was such a beautiful kind of story and and, and told in a really unusual fashion can you tell me a little bit um about that particular project and how it started its existence it was Arts Council project fund wasn't it yeah yeah so there's kind of a little bit of a backstory to it so um maybe about four or five years ago I wrote a short story um I have a huge interest in football I played football when I was younger and um, I have a huge interest in association football. And um, I was uh, sitting around in, uh, I was over in Berlin at the time. And I was sitting around, I was, I was reading um, a guy called uh, Thomas Bernhard. Uh, and uh, he's a um, sort of Austrian Dutch writer. And he goes on these really long rants about classical music in his, he's a really like distinguished sort of 20th century writer. But he goes on these really long rants about classical music in his books. And I don't know a huge amount about classical music, but what I could tell from his rants was that he really enjoyed writing them. So I said to myself one day, OK, you don't know an awful about class- classical music, but what do you know actually an awful lot about? And I was like, well, I've been watching or playing football since I was four, so I know an awful lot about football. So I sat down and I wrote a short story uh, called Prozanecki uh, that came out very, very quickly and very easily over the course of basically an afternoon. Um, and then I sent it around to a couple of uh, publishers like the Dublin Review and Moth and places like that. And they all, they all either didn't get back to me or knocked it back. And I was kind of really surprised because I was like, this is really, this is actually, this is one of my better ones, you know, if you're allowed to say such a thing. And um, then Sally Rooney became the editor of the Sting and Fly magazine. Uh, she, did, she was kind of guest editor for a year. And I'd read stuff by Sally before about football, really good fiction about football. And I thought to myself, Sally really likes and gets football and sees it as being part of literature. So she's, so I said, I'll send it to her, into the same fly. And she got back to me and she loved it. She really enjoyed the story. So she and I, this is long, just before her second book. So she, she wasn't like astronomically famous. Um, so we had this really interesting interaction editing the story down for preparation for publication. How long was it actually? Oh, about maybe... Four and a half thousand words, that kind of thing. It's not super long, sort of mid-length short story. Yeah. Um, and it was written in very much, yeah, so it was written first person and it was a man in the middle of a football pitch thinking back on his career, uh, sort of a, a guy in, at the end of his career. And then about a year later, Wendy Erskine, who's a brilliant Northern Irish writer, um, she chose to read it for the Stinging Fly podcast. And so she did this reading for the podcast um, and then she had a conversation about the story with Danny Denton afterwards. He's a, a, a writer from Cork who was, the, who was then the guest editor of The Sting of Life. And this podcast went out. I didn't know it was happening. And all of a sudden it popped up on Twitter, Wendy Erskine reads Adrian Duncan's Prozanecki. And I was like, oh, God, I'll have to read this. And I listened to a reading and I was like, oh, my God, this is absolutely unbelievable. She's such a, her delivery is so good. And I'd done readings with Wendy before, like literary festivals and things like that. Uh, so I knew she was a brilliant, brilliant performer. But then when I read the story or heard her reading the story, I was like, Jesus, that is different league stuff. So the funny thing was, Tygo Sullivan, who's a filmmaker, I'm sure you know, uh, he was, li- I know him through, so I work with Fergal Ward a lot. 
and I've done sort of Tig has helped us with a couple of projects back in the day, and I know Tig anyway. Um, so he heard the top podcast on his um, when he was driving home, and he just WhatsApp me and he said, "You should go in for Ask Council funding with this. This this would be perfect." So I said, "Right, okay, well." So I went in for Project Award, the visual art or the film Project Award, and then I got the funding, and then I went over to England for a, it was um, January twenty. 20 would it be yeah anyway the week before lockdown or two weeks before lockdown yeah yeah and i brought audio recording equipment and i went to a couple of games in lincoln city and one down in portsmouth and i recorded football sounds singing chanting um shouting when a goal goes in that's those sort of ecstasy sounds and those sort of you know um communal sounds so i had this really really nice sort of library of sounds from these football these old football stadiums um and the plan was then to sort of start the film, start shooting and start doing things uh, with the film later on that year. And then, of course, COVID hit. Um, so all of a sudden, I couldn't shoot anything. <laughs> I couldn't actually go out and film any of the stuff that I wanted to film. So one day then I sat down and I had been sort of pulling old football footage off things like archive.org and various places. And I just sat down with a timeline and just put down the version that of Wendy's reading from the podcast. So really rough. The audio was a bit tinny. And I just put it down to see if it would work. Would a Northern Irish woman's, work, woman's voice work over late 1980s, early 1990s Eastern European football footage? So I worked on that for a couple of weeks just to sort of just to see could this story carry through with the images on it. And then I showed it to Fergal. And he was like, yeah, that definitely works. Whatever the hell that is, whatever's going on there, it does actually work. So then I was kind of encouraged. I was like, you know yourself a film, if you have those basics of a voice, sound of like, in my case, it was football chatting and image in terms of like, you know, what the world of it, let's say, which was archival footage, you know, you've kind of, you've gone a long way into, into, into the world of the film and you're, you've made a couple of good steps, let's say. Um, so then pretty much over the next 12 months, I kind of worked on the edit of the film and trying to find the language of the film and all this kind of stuff. So um, then in August last year, I had an edit together and I sent it into well, maybe it was earlier in August last year and um, the Belfast Film Festival or what you call it, the Docs Ireland uh, took it. Um, and that's, that's the version then that's kind of that I've been yeah, that's the version then that I'm showing still voices as well. So, yeah, it was a lot. It kind of, it came easily at first and then it took an awful amount, of, awful amount of work trying to work it out, you know. That's a very interesting process to say that it, it kind of moved and shifted as the the needs progressed for it. Mm. So um, you were saying that you worked with the footage. So did you have to do much work to secure the rights to that? Like, could you... Like, where did you get the footage? Did you have to clear a lot of stuff? Was it expensive? Did it use all your grant? Um, the, it was, parts of it were expensive and then parts of it were like off, like I say, off um, these archives or websites where it's just like free, like because there's so many of these kind of like uh, of this old football footage up on on different websites. It can kind of, it's just there. Um, so it was a mix of those kind of things. Um, the thing about the, the football match that I actually used it was between um, the was it, Red Star Belgrade and uh, Dynamo Dresden. Um, 
And both of them are from countries that no longer exist. Um, so it was before the wall came down and it was before the, uh, the Balkan War. Um, so the footage just sort of sits in this kind of no man's land of it's kind of countryless. Um, like there's no Yugoslavia and there's no East Germany. Um, so um, so, th- so th- that's the kind of world that the, that the footage came from. Uh, a mix of those kinds of things. And I think the interesting thing then when I was kind of working with the footage was that the um, the frame rates were completely all over the place and completely different. So the film itself is at 24 frames a second and some of the frame rates are coming in at like 12, some at 30, some at 25 or whatever. So because the film was slowed down um, so drastically, I found that with some of the frame rates, you were getting judders across pretty much everything. So it started becoming more like an animation project for ages where I had to kind of go in and remove the juddering frame rates to make the thing smooth. And so that was extremely labor intensive as as, as you can imagine going through each like frame uh, in the film to take out ones that are repeating just through because of the super slow motion of the thing. So that was part of the that was part of the labor of it was actually working with the with the stock working with the um, with the files to try and make them work on the on the twenty four frames a second timeline that I was working on. Very interesting. So and and how do you have the skill set to do that? Like where what's your sort of background? Because you are <laughs> big in visual arts, literary <laughs> world. Like where where how does it all meld to to deliver this? Yeah. So um. Yeah, so basically back in about 2008, I was, I was an engineer up until about up until 2008, a structural engineer. And then I went back to art college uh, in 2008 and I started doing creative writing courses in the Irish Writers Centre as well. So writing and image was all, were always sort of together at the same time as I shifted direction into this world that I'm in now. And um, then over the so I started working so I was working in visual art and writing or yeah pretty much exclusively and mostly visual art but mostly like drawing and sculpture that was the kind of world I was in I wasn't painting or that kind of stuff maybe some videos a good few videos actually but nothing crazy and then in 2016 um, I made a film about the bung a short film with Fergal Ward about uh, Bungalow Bliss um, which T.J. Carr uh, commissioned and so myself and Fergal made that film in 2016. So Fergal is obviously a very accomplished filmmaker. And by working, basically working with him, I learned how to do these things. Um, and then in 2018, we did a film that was first shown down in Eva. Um, I was called, so the cinema version is called Memory Room and the gallery version is called The Soil Became Scandinavian. And it was a large installation in Eva. It was also shown in visual last year, Visual Carlo. And it's basically, it was shot in um, Northern Finland and um, just inside the Arctic Circle. Um, and it involves Barry Ward was the actor and it was um, an arts again an arts council funded project award um, and about a 20 minute long film so we made that then we made that that film in 2018 and then we got the real art fund in 2019 Fergal and I to make the Peter Rice film the right the film about Peter Rice um, which was called Floating Structures which showed at the Dublin International Film Festival and then we did a recut of it and we call it tension structures. And then that showed IDFA and hot docs and um, rhythm and all these other places. So it sounds like you, like a lot of, a lot of filmmakers are like, this is the cut, this is the cut of the film. But actually it sounds like you were repurposing your work to, 
to to have it function in different spaces, which is mm. really interesting and 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 good to to be flexible with the form. But it sounds like you do that yourself <laughs> if you're if you're you're working in very different spaces. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like when we were shooting the film, the one up in Finland, we weren't thinking about it for the cinema when we were shooting it. But we were thinking about it for the installation, um, and the installation was a very large screen with electricity poles. Uh, in the space as well. So these very large creosote electricity poles. Um, and these were going to be angled in the space in a way that we had already understood and we knew. So an awful lot of the shots that we were trying to do when we were in Finland, we were trying to make sure they would work with the shots with the objects in the space. Um, as it turns out, they work without the objects in the space as well. But that was the first, that was the first idea. Um, so yeah, like the, because Fergal, he used to work in the joinery uh, for years up in Stony Batter, that's where we met. Uh, we, um, um, he's very open to sort of gallery versions of the work. In fact, he loves thinking about, thinking about the work in that way as well. And obviously I do as well. Space as well to the, to the work. So it's interesting. It gives it another layer. And it's something that you're both uniquely qualified to, to kind of weigh in on. Yeah, we really enjoy doing it. And, but it's also sort of like with a gallery space, because we don't design this gallery space to have seats, we don't try to make a cinema in the gallery and have starting times and finishing times. We try to make the film loop so that you could come in at any stage and watch the film um, and then leave without ha- having sort of missed some narrative aspect to it. So th- with the gallery aspects, you're thinking in terms of loops. Um, but then, of course, in cinema, it has to have a start and a fin- middle and an end. It has to be sort of a complete dramatic act of some kind. So moving between the two, there's a sort of, uh, there's definitely a consideration in terms of the narrative or, the, or how you tell the story you're telling, you know. Whereas in the gallery aspects, the story aspect of the film is, is sort of compressed or sort of pushed down. It's not as important. Um, it's more about the experience of walking around it and looking at it with these other objects in, in, in place as well. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting it impacts, not just the sort of how you install the film, but also and not just how you install the sound in the space. You know, you can have four channels doing different things, but also in terms of the just the narrative of the thing as well. It's affected uh, depending on the space, because, you know, obviously a cinema is a very is a thing that we understand that we know how it what it more or less makes up. Um, and you kind of have to work within those constraints to a certain degree. And you understand that someone is sitting there, they can't move. So um, you have to sort of um, be aware of that, as- of that as well. So it's really interesting thinking between those two things. Yeah, I very much enjoy it anyway. And I, certainly from working with Fergie, he, he definitely gets a kick out of it as well. You know? And of course, like he's obviously made cinema films like, you know, The Lonely Battle of Thomas Reed and... Uh, uh, Ixi Milou with Tiger Sullivan and all that kind of stuff. So, like, he he understands the cinema stuff probably even better, way better than I do. Um, but yeah, it just leads to interesting conversations, I suppose. And and how does that collaboration sort of work with regards to workflow, especially during COVID? Like, do you guys say do a Zoom session, deliver ideas, go do work? Is it is it that structured? Do you guys have areas that you would stick into yourselves um well you see we live pretty close to each other and we share a studio um so we're able to just an awful lot of it is just chat you know it's meeting up and talking about things um 
And sometimes there's certain films that you're like, yeah, that would be really good, but try that. And then there's some ideas that seem good and then fall apart when you start kind of working on them. And so, I mean, so it's pretty, I would say, I don't, I know this word sounds a bit cheesy, but it is pretty organic. It's a bit like a friendship, you know, Um, to describe it. Yeah. I mean, when we're actually in the making of the film, you know, he's obviously the cinematographer. He's, he's an extremely brilliant cinematographer. I don't, I don't go near the camera. We talk about shots and that kind of stuff, but he's the one that's, that's actually shooting everything. Um, and in terms of the edit, um, yeah, like we talk, we obviously talk very every day about the, when the edit is going on. Um, so yeah, it's, I would say it's a very, very fluid and easy thing. It's not a, it's a, it'd be like, it's like making work with your friends. That's the only way I can say it, you know? Um, and I would say like in terms of some of the, like, let's say for instance, for the real art film, the one about Peter Rice, I probably would have taken on more of the, say, the script writing in that film, but it was also like, but it was also something that we were constantly discussing. But then also at the same time, when we're when we were out shooting, there would be things he tried to achieve, but then there'd be obviously things that I'd be looking at that I would hope that we try to achieve as well. So every aspect is touched in some way by both of us, but more so by one or both of us as well. I think it's a good, I think it's a nice mix because our skill sets are not exactly the same, you know. Um, and they cover a lot of what I think making film requires, you know. <laughs> and would you have areas that you'd like? I know, kind of working together is both challenging each other to create something that's that's better than either one could devise in your own. But then there's also like I presume you'd have like a strong sensibility in this regard, and he might have a strong sensibility in that regard. Like, how would you get over those kind of creative clashes, for want of a better word? But I'm sure it's much more mild than that yeah yeah, yeah. like you know those uh, moments where you're both in different directions that yeah i mean i would say certain like when we're out shooting it's uh what we try to do is we try to get a sort of basic um a basic line of shots and, and audio recordings down you know an absolute sort of baseline let's say and then once you get the baseline down you know by the middle of the day you're like okay let's just try let's try something else you know let's um Let's experiment. So, like, let's say, for instance, in the the film up in the Arctic that we shot, you know, we got our baselines down at the three or four different locations that we had. And then we just started playing with lighting. Really, it was as if we were in a very large studio and we were just playing around with different types of lighting. And of course, when you start playing around with things like light and snow and um, dusk, um, you start getting really dramatic effects. And an awful lot of it is really accidental, you know, and so that's in the shooting aspect that's that seems to be a sort of method you try to get a baseline down and then you leave time for experimentation you know like that stuff that you have not planned at all and that is people just suggest stuff um even sometimes like for instance when we were working with barry ward he'd suggest something there's there's only four of us working on it so like it's fairly open to to people chipping in and making suggestions and you just try them and see how, how they go and you kind of realize fairly quickly if something's working or not and um, and then afterwards, when it comes to the sort of edit, it's just this constant, it's a conversation, you know, and the work then starts breeding questions of its own. And then it's just, well, how do you answer these questions? And in what way do you want to answer, answer these questions? Um, and that's just conversation that goes on and on and on right the way up to the very, very end of the edit. Um, it can be something that is very simple as like a small sound or something like that, that you kind of agree on or disagree on. And then you, you basically talk out the merits and demerits of, of each thing. Um, but we're not I don't think you could work together if you weren't if you weren't fairly close in terms of what you liked, you know, um, 
And I think that's definitely one thing. We, we're, we're not too far away in terms of what we think is good, you know, <laughs> right or wrong. But that, and that's, that obviously makes things very, very, um, that makes things very enjoyable and, and pe- relatively peaceful. <laughs> and, and back to um, Lost Colony. So you said that you had a, um, was there a gallery version of that as well? Did I see that on your website? No, I well, there there is a gallery version. Um, I'm actually editing at the moment. It's going to be a two screen um, version of the film, and um, I think I would probably bring in subtitles into it. So it's actually I'm hoping to have it finished by the end of this year. Um, so that to me would be a continuation of the film project award, even though technically the project is finished. But I always keep kind of working on at things afterwards, seeing if there's something else can be done with them. Um, so that's what I'm, I'll be doing for the next probably three or four months, editing a gallery version of that film, which I'd hope to have done fairly next year. But and I see you, it as a two screen work. Cool. And do you have a kind of space for that in mind? Like with I'm just interested to how this um, realm works. Like, do you mm. go maybe pitch it to galleries and see if mm. there's like funding available to do it? Is it part of the the Arts Council Award? Like what how would you go about kind of like restructuring things? Yeah, I mean, part of the gallery, part of the Arts Council Award is that there's a strategy document, and uh, aspects of that strategy document are a, um, that you will approach certain film festivals that you where you would like to show this kind of stuff, and then part of the strategy document also is the gallery strategy where you would like to show it. So, um, like let's say for instance, with the soil became Scandinavian, so we showed it in Eva uh, in 2018, and then I approached Visual and Carlo because it just it was the only space really big enough in Ireland. And also, I really, really admire the curator, Emma Lucy O'Brien, down there, and I really wanted to work with her. So I just pitched it to her. I, was, I just went in and said, Fergal and I would love to show this here. We think the space would be perfect. And we ended up doing a slightly different installation. So then for, the, um, for this Lost Colony re-edit, because I don't have a, a, very, a, a specific space in mind, I just have an empty gallery in mind, I'm sort of thinking about it as I can see it in my own mind as being a mid-sized um, screens, uh, slightly askew from each other and with the two projections that you can only see from sort of one or two positions where you can see both of them at once um, that, and then they would play um, and the voice I think would come and go and I think definitely in the gallery version this, the music element would be taken out um, because I just something about music in a gallery just doesn't just doesn't work for me you know so those sort of things I can kind of I, I, I'd be fairly sure of um, but in terms of an actual gallery, gallery I don't have one of mine there's a few that I'd love to approach um, but I think with what I'm doing it's, it would be adaptable enough for pretty much most spaces it wouldn't be like the really really large one where only about maybe three or four spaces in Ireland could take it just the scale of the thing like literally electricity poles um, whereas the, this one I think would be much more adaptable so I'm thinking of a, definitely an empty space but it, not any absolutely specific one you know so you mentioned the sound, actually, that was that was one area that I really wanted to touch on, because, again, it's it was really beautifully um, mixed and really kind of evocative soundtrack. How do you achieve that? By, yeah, working on it for ages and ages and ages and ages. Um, so we, we, I use DaVinci, um, the, the editing software and the, um, up the, 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 the visual grading capability on that is extraordinary but so is the sound mix capability on it. Um, so basically I had to rewrite the script um, 
from the short story into a much tighter and less com not that the story is too convoluted but fiction and film they don't just meet you have to do an awful lot of you have to write a script you know um so I rewrote the script and I had the during there was a little break in lockdown and I ha- asked Wendy to go into a recording studio I uh, sent her um, two versions of the script and I asked her to go in and record the um the two versions in a recording studio in Belfast and then they sent me the file and then I put that down um and then basically the part of the struggle I had with this film because the image large always stays in an archival world it's always sort of the past um, I had to sort of try and make sure um, that the audio produced the present of the film. So that was the difficulty trying to find the language of the film comes very strongly from the from the from the hour from the hour element. So whenever she's on the pitch or whatever the footballer is on the pitch in the present, I just did something extremely simple. It took me ages to get to this, but I re- once I realised that I was like, ah, that's the language now. And the simple thing was just to put a siren on the edge of the pitch. She refers to it in the present tense and just put it, have this siren going in. And then whenever we go into the past tense, get rid of the siren and bring in other sounds that belong to the past. And then I had to stick to that rule absolutely rigidly throughout the whole film or else it just wouldn't make sense to the viewer because there's, there's a good bit to sort of process because it's it's odd, you know. Um, but I once I understood the, the the language of it, I stuck to the rules of it very rigidly. Um, and once that happened, then the film started coming together. And then what I sent then, what I could send out then, I felt, yeah, this 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 definitely works. This is a, co- a coherent language, at least, even if it is a bit strange, you know. Um, so and then after a period of time refining that audio in um, in, in uh, Da Vinci and what have you, I brought it over to a, um, a sound mixer in, in Berlin called Paul Pilot. Um, he used to be a musician, but he works for like, he's a, um, I would just say, does a lot of commercial work for um, sound design and yeah he just helped me clean up the design clean up the, a lot of the audio which had a little bit of noise on it and things like that and then he um but that was really it he's like when he was trying to kind of when we talked about adding in other things i was like no i don't want that and he was like when well, you've kind of done the sound mix I, all i can do is just clean up you know noise around the sound and that was kind of what we did but it was really useful having the conversation because it meant i had to think about the the audio mix myself again in the presence of someone uh, and someone else so that's that was kind of um that 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 was the process of of that i would say that yeah it was a it was it wasn't easy i found it very very difficult to do um and it took me a very very long huge amount of hours between the just that labor stuff of making sure the the visual was smooth and trying to find the language of the audio um yeah it took me ages you know but i learned an awful lot from doing it as well um for sure yeah god it's fascinating that's a really interesting um thing to mix with as well and women lane seem to be doing great work across mm. A, mm. a bunch of different fields mm. so tell me a little bit about um that kind of post so it sounds like you're just quite an accomplished editor in your own right which is handy these days because <laughs> there it's tough to find them yeah i know um, i mean i, I if someone asked me to edit, edit a film of theirs, I think I'd be very nervous about taking that on. Um, but I think I'd be quite confident about doing editing a film of that I'd be in, that I would do, and I feel like that I could, I could, I can see. I always think of it like when I wrote my first novel, I didn't really know what I was doing, and I learned how to write that novel, 
but I didn't know how to learn. I didn't learn how to write novels generally, you know. Um, so with these films, I'm learning how to make these films as they come. But I wouldn't be able to because I didn't study in film school. I don't have those sort of hard. I don't have those uh, that sort of subsurface of education. I'm kind of learning as I go, you know. Um, that gives you a unique perspective as well to to be able to see things that are slightly different in a different way. Yeah, I think you kind of sometimes like, of course, like, you know, there, you know, there's certain things that you might default to if you're editing or if you're a writer or if you've, you know, if you've been educated in a certain way. And if you haven't, then you either learn those very, those basics very, in a very hard and convoluted way. But then as you're learning them, you kind of, you make decisions that are uh, maybe outside of what is, you know, more usual in, in what you might see in a film. But I think the key, and certainly this would, this would be something that I would say as much with writing and the visual art and with the film is that if the, the language, certainly in film, it has to be, for me anyway, no matter how strange it is, it has to be a coherent language. And it has to be, the viewer has to be able to grab a hold of it. That grammar has to be available to them, you know? Um, and I think then you can kind of do very strange things if the grammar is consistent and the, and the viewer can, um, can get a hold of it without, you know, without it being too, without it being, you know, that there's something consistent a language going through it and then I think yeah there's lots of things you can do you know you can do you can do strange things I think um yeah that's yeah <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense but that's I do hold myself like I do hold myself to a, that standard you know in in everything um that I'm aware people are particularly film you see it you see it once it flows past you you don't get a chance to reread you don't get a chance to rewind it has to work in that moment it has to work in that cinematic space and um, so I am aware of that difference as well between other art forms. And this is why, like, I, this is why I really love film. I think it's one of the most beautiful art forms um, because it has those things, collaboration in the background when you're working, um, really like deep thought. But then all of this has to appear as kind of kind of effortless in the in the viewing of it, you know, um, or Sometimes you can make films that are more difficult, of course, but for me, there has to be a kind of a flow across and people can read things maybe in the immediate sense and maybe in another sense, but then it's gone, you know, and there's, there's only so much lingering you can do with film. Uh, it's a time-based thing, and, and I think that's, that's why I really like it, you know. You've such a spectrum of, of genres that you work across. How do you decide what your next project is? Like, is it something that you're necessarily drawn to or do you have like a bunch of plates spinning and it's whatever one starts to make itself known to you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I've, I would say the films I've made up to now have definitely been based on things that I'm deeply interested in. Uh, so engineering, obviously, is something that I'm deeply interested in. Um, the infrastructures of Irish you know, modernity, like say rural electrification and um, uh, peat extraction are things that I'm deeply interested in. And football <laughs> is something that I'm deeply, deeply interested in. Not just like that I liked it, but the also like things like how it's evolved and changed and how it's, um, it's Victorian roots and uh, how those Victorian roots are starting to sort of disappear. Um, so I find, so I'm led by those, by what I'm really interested in is basically the short answer to it. And sometimes that appears maybe as a short story, but then the short story or the drawing or something can morph into, um, you know, a film. But then what's really interesting is when I'm working on a film, I start getting lots of ideas that then appear in writing work as well. 
So there's this constant mix, I would say, of uh, ideas and compulsions and the different mediums produce different ideas of them, you know. So like when you're trying to make a sculpture, you're having totally different thoughts to if you're sitting down and trying to write a short story or a novel or whatever. Just the same when you're sitting in an edit and you're looking at this footage and music and, um, and figures moving, you're having completely different thoughts about the subject matter than if you were, say, doing a drawing about it, you know. Um, and yeah, I just find the whole thing utterly addictive. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do, but I, it's utterly addictive. Um, and so that's how that's kind of in it. I don't know if that's clear, but that's sort of how I work, as it were. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Um, do you ever find that, especially if you're so close to the subject matter and you have so many hats on, like if it's, if it's a play or, or like if it was a story, then it's um a, a, like a drama film that switches to something else that you're doing the production, you're doing the editing, you're doing producing as well as the directing. Do you ever find that you get numb to a project or how do you keep that project fresh to your to your eyes and be able to experience it in a way that you can continue working on it yeah that's a really good question uh and i think one really good way that i found anyway is to do as much work on the thing until you've exhausted everything you can give into it and then put it down and don't look at it for months if you can or many weeks at least try to forget about it do work on something else and by working on something else you're kind of forgetting about what you've been invested in for many months and then after a, no- a number of months working on something else or doing something else you return to the previous thing you'd see it in completely new eyes because you've oh, forgotten about it you know um, and you can be critical about it and you can also be deeply enthusiastic about it as well um, so that's 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 how I think that works is just by not looking at it for periods of time and I was chatting about this actually myself and Fergal were talking about this in terms of like when you're working on an edit, you know, on a, on a film edit, there's usually a chunk of time given to the end of, 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 of near the end of the project for editing. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's obviously industry standard. And I think that's important. And, you know, that's how films are made. Maybe. But I think I think that there should be time given. So let's say you do those four weeks of editing or whatever. I think there should be like two months after that, there should be a break. And then the film should be looked at again uh, for like another month after that to see if you see something fresh in the work, having not looked at it. You know what I mean? That you're not like bringing it to the end. That's it. And cause I always think that if you did do that, you would definitely, okay, you might not change it at all, but there are, there is a chance that you will see something that you could improve um, or could make slightly better or whatever. And, and then at some stage you have to stop. I know that as well. <laughs> they say work is never finished. It's abandoned. This is it. This is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You just do your best. And then, uh, I, of course, there comes a time you're like, yeah, I don't have anything more for this. You know, there's nothing more in me or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's perfect. That's good as well. It's a nice feeling to move on from projects you know and get to watch it then on the screen and enjoy it with other people like you will be doing at the still voices festival oh i can't wait and you know what's amazing actually and this is uh, this is you know when you're working on something on a smaller screen or whatever a larger screen i found what i found really and this is a whole other aspect to it the when you see it then on the big screen with the with sound in the cinema there's a sort of weird translation uh that happens and the thing looks different of course when it's on the big screen um, and I think 
then when you go and you work on the next film, you're aware of that translation. You're like, oh, I need to factor that thing in. That actually, you know, when you're looking at a big screen, you're like, oh, I need to, it needs to move a little bit quicker here. But actually sometimes when it's on a big screen and the thing is filled, it's just like, no, no, say nothing. Just keep it quiet. Make it slow it down. It's fine. And like, that's fascinating when you see that. When you see the film, you're like, that could, that could have been slower. Or I didn't need to come in there. You know, that could have left that for another second or two. Um, and that's something you learn just by doing it. You know, you're like, ah, yeah, I, I understand that. And I think that's one thing that I learned an awful lot from Fergal and Tig, sorry, certainly more so with Fergal because I worked more with him, was that he kind of understood that translation because he'd done three or four films, four or five films uh, in that way before. And he kind of understood that, that weird t- jump or translation that happens between screen, small screen, editing screen and, and the cinema screen. It's a beautiful thing, though. Yeah, it's a lovely thing. Yeah, to, to watch it in that communal space. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind oh. of nerve-wracking, even though you know, and you've already seen it, and you're like, I know this, this thing, this file works. My God, it's nerve-wracking when it goes up, nonetheless, you know? You can feel it with the audience, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's very much so, like, that you can feel their reaction sitting there, that, like, you know, yeah. you can tell if they're, when people are engaged, if there's shuffling, if there's, if things are tense, so... Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. You become hypersensitive. <laughs> well, I'm sure they'll really enjoy it because I it, hope so. it's wonderful. You're right. It's a strange thing, but it's so it's so invoking and it's so again so so layered. And the sound is gorgeous. The visual. Oh, thank you. There's that like that. I was wondering exactly the how that's processed, but it suits it so well. And then the voice as well there's like an oh, yeah. quality like that's yeah, yeah. so smooth so yeah I'm, I'm trying to think of another film project where i might be able to get wendy in and have her voice because i just think it's just a great voice you know um and that's the lovely thing when you come across myself and fergal have just finished the film which was shown down at cork in in at the cork film festival and it's a it's a dancer from from belgium and his voice is just amazing so he's in the film and it's just it's just one of those, once you started putting it with the image, you're like, yeah, that works. You know, that's an amazing feeling because you can do, you know, yourself, you can spend ages trying, trying voices that just don't fit the image or like they could have great voice for another image, but for what you're working on, it just doesn't click on, doesn't kick on. It just doesn't sit with it, you know? Sounds like that's your next project is uh, an animation because <laughs> you need to go into a whole new field now. Uh, no, no, no. And no, you're no. already you're already working on your uh, on your no. animating skills. No, 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 no. And then two fabulous voices. That's oh it. yeah, animation is just too much work, though. Surely, no. <laughs> Sounds like you've tried. Uh, you've you've almost got the skill set in there. So oh, that's oh, another another field to accomplish. Field, yeah. <laughs> But thank you so much for chatting with us. I'd say have oh, a fabulous pleasure. time at the festival. It's thank you very much. Thank really you. Really enjoyed. Cheers. Yeah. So. Nice to meet you. The 2022 Still Voices Film Festival takes place in Ballyman from the 9th to the 13th of November. So take a look at the programme at stillvoicesfilmfestival.com.